Super Talk Mississippi media production. Kickstart your adventure now with a new Gud Golf Cart from Country Carts of Brookhaven. Gud Golf Carts are assembled right here in Mississippi with the best features around. And best of all, they're street legal. Country Carts of Brookhaven, 401 Highway 51 South, phone 601-748-0454. What is up on a Monday? I'm Brian Scott Rippey. My co-conspirator, as always, is Michael Borky. We appreciate you hanging out with us on this Monday, March 2nd edition of the Rebel Report podcast. We're into the month of March. This is March, according to John Rothstein. Uh, this is honestly a pretty solid month in terms of like basketball, conference tournaments, and all that. Like you talk about, We've talked about on the radio show college basketball not being a national thing. Like This is their month, and they still own that. So I am excited about that. Got a lot to get into today. Big uh, big weekend on the baseball diamond for Ole Miss. They went 3-0 at the Keith LeClaire Classic. Uh, basketball dismantled a bad Vanderbilt team. We'll get into that some, too. Probably bounce around to some AAF stuff. We shall see. But what's up? I uh, <laughs> A little inside baseball here. I uh, For the ninth consecutive Monday, you have a staff meeting. And so we could either normally go about 8 or 9 and – on every single Monday, we either have to go early or late, and yet I still text you every Sunday night and say, hey, let's go at 9 o'clock. This has been like 10 or 12 weeks now, and I still haven't gotten the hang of it. So, what's up? Your reaction text to that is always so funny, too. Like, <laughs> Well, like, it's just like, it's like, I know I don't even, like, really need to text you anymore because we go at the same time, but it's just more like muscle memory habits. So I'll go, hey, 9 tomorrow, hey, 9 tomorrow, hey, 8 tomorrow, whatever. And then, of course, every single Monday, I never think, and it's just like, oh, shit, I did it again. But yeah, well, um, my kid is sleeping in the next room. And if we wake him up, my wife is going to be super pissed at you. Just so you know. OK, well, I will uh, I will try not to. Uh, <laughs> hopefully my takes are not that loud today. Uh, I don't <laughs> I don't think I have anything too explosive. Everything on the old Miss front was fairly straightforward. The uh, baseball team. Uh, no, I don't know. Really know what I expected from them this weekend. I guess we'll get into this first. I don't yeah, let's know start I with expected. baseball. I mean, basketball, they won. That's great. They played well, but they're not playing for anything. So no, we can but save they, that for last. They did have a first that I haven't seen them do all year. So that's a pretty sweet tease. Stick around for that, that I thought was actually fairly impressive despite the opponent. But anyway, I don't know what I expected from baseball this weekend. Like two out of three would have been a good weekend for them. But them winning all three games and the manner in which they won them. I know TCU is a tight two, one game, but the way they pitched it, it effortless is not the right word, but it just felt kind of business-like and machine-like. And they ran through two pretty good baseball teams. And that kid from high point, uh, wasn't really a slouch, like in terms of on the mound, obviously high point baseball, not the same level as Indiana or ECU, but ECU's got a good club, and Ole Miss won a really tough, hard-nosed game on Saturday. I guess yeah, let's I'll start there because I think that's Gunner the story Oakland. of the weekend. To me, that's the story of the weekend. I saw everything pitching-wise. I guess like the plate's a little different story, but to me, this the story this weekend is Gunnar Hoagland. I mean, as I texted you on Saturday, is that uh, I was actually out on the square watching the game. Uh, with the friend, like the place we went into had it on. So I really kind of got like a little bit locked into it and was really watching. And like, as I texted you, if that version of him is real and I don't like have any reason, I mean, he's now faced Louisville and East Carolina with Xavier in between. And from a stuff perspective and just his confidence, I, I don't have any reason it's not to that to me changes the ceiling dramatically of this team, because we've talked about it before with the way 
Like, I was a little unsure, like, is he going to be that guy on Saturday? Because in the SEC, you still have to have a dog on Saturday. You have to have a guy that's going to do more than just give you a chance. You have to have a guy that's pretty good because most of these thing, most of these staffs are at least too deep. And, man, he just looks like a different person. I mean, like, if you go watch, like, any tape of him pitching last year or if you can just even go back on your memory, it's it's almost irrecognizable, like, in terms of, like, or unrecognizable. I don't even know if the first one I said is a word. I, I'm a... Uh, I'm not dumbfounded, but it is a little shocking to me and good for the kid. But that's I mean, I really can't recognize the same dude on the mound. Yeah, the bite on that breaking pitch and then the the ability to throw it four strikes in pressure situations. I didn't get to watch the entire game because my my stream just would not work. I, I could not get it to work. But from what I saw, I mean, in a close ball game too, on the road against a good team like that to throw that breaking pitch that he didn't have a year ago. Uh, with so much bite, too, man. It's not like this big looping curve. I don't know what he's th- – what is he throwing? I just it's call him breaking sliders. balls. Okay. So his, he, he has a breaking ball, and it's not as good. But that sharper one you see come in – come into the zone and the one you can you – know, like the one that sticks out to you that you're like, whoa, that's his slider. And that's a pitch he didn't have last year. Like, not at all. Not like Nikhazy to where he didn't throw it. Like he – that – it didn't exist. He he crafted that this offseason. And, man, you talk about it making a world of difference. It's – uh. It's something else. It's got some bite to it, man. And throwing it four strikes in pressure situations, I mean, that was, as you said, I'm just going to parrot you today. Um, That changes the way you look at this team. If they can get that kind of outing against quality teams like ECU uh, every week, then the conversation about this team is very different. Six innings pitch, one run unearned. One walk, eight strikeouts, 97 pitches. Uh, if you can sign up for that, I'm terrible math guy here, 10 weekends in the SEC, if he does that 10 times in the SEC or anything close to it, they're going to be a tough team to deal with with what they have on Friday. We'll get to Sunday in a second, but that's about as efficient as you could ask for. Anytime he needed an out pitch, he got it. Anytime, I mean, he really didn't face a whole lot of trouble. If, if, from as much as I remember, I was uh, – headed home from basketball and then headed out to a place to where I could kind of get settled down and watch it for the first couple innings. So I was kind of in and out, but from third, third inning on middle of the third on, I was, I was pretty locked into it. I don't remember him facing a ton of trouble. Uh, and it, it seemed rather easy and he was just kind of coasting through the game rather nonchalantly. It, 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 it did not seem like he was, he was stressed, stressed very often. I'd look at the total ECU left nine runners on base. A lot of that came in the later innings, and Oakland did strand some guys. He scattered five hits, walked one dude, but it was as impressive as a pitching performance as I could. I mean, as I've seen, it was uh, it was quite something. And so, you know, first run scores in the first inning on an error, Ole Miss gets two back in like seven shutout frames after or eight shutout frames after an unearned run in the first inning. Because it's not just Holden. Like I mean. As much as he's been good as well, the bullpen behind him was even better. But finishing the thought on Hoagland, like I said, I mean, it's it, the, it's not just the slider, too. His fastball is, is completely different than it was a year ago. He's spinning it more, so it has more life. Like last year, the reason – I mean, to be honest, in like private conversations I'd have with not people around the program, but just people in general, talking about the baseball team, people on the beat, it's kind of like, do you know what makes this kid a first-round pick? Because I, I, I don't see it other than the big, long, lanky body frame. Like, the fastball really doesn't have a ton on it. The, the velocity is okay. And after that, he doesn't have confidence. Like, I, I, what, were the, what, I mean, what were the Pittsburgh Pirates thinking, I guess, was kind of my question. 
And now it's kind of like, well, what did they not see? Because like the, it's been a game changer for him because he's learned how to control it better or command it better to where he's not just kind of grooving it through the zone and thinking he can get by people because they're high school hitters. Now it's a legit pitch for him, and it's it's he's commanding it better. He's painting the corners with it, and it's got a little more zip and life to it. And aside from the slider, that's the second biggest difference with him because the breaking ball itself is still not great, but I don't know if that's going to matter with those two pitches that he has. And he tunnels it pretty well. Like It seems to me it's hard to pick up out of his hand which one is which. And like, like I said, those two things to me are the biggest difference. And if nothing else, aside from just the pitching-wise, like his confidence and demeanor – are completely different. Like last year, he maybe I don't want to put words in the kid's mouth. Maybe he thought this was going to be a little bit easier than it was. He's a first round pick. I mean, if I turned down seven figures to walk onto a college baseball campus, I probably thought I was going to own that place. And obviously not the case. It was difficult. Found it a little bit in the second half, but like he just didn't seem very confident last year. He seemed a little discouraged at the initial results and never really quite fully got over that. This year, it's a different dude. He looks like he's going to get you out, and it's going to be a shocker if he doesn't. Like The way he ca- carries himself on the mound is totally different to me. I don't know if you see the same thing. Yeah, very well said. And uh, that that's all good, uh, and because it should be. But what about the bad in the game? I mean, is there concern to this point about what you have out of your second baseman? I mean, four errors on the year, one I mean, led to that early run in the ECU game, um, just not fielding that position very well. And then now the hits aren't really coming uh, either. Uh, is there something, uh, I don't know how to ask this without sounding like an ass. Uh, do they need to make a change there? No, I base? get what you're saying. If it couldn't, I mean, I mean, at a certain point, if the errors continue in the absence of production at the plate, Sure, I just don't think Chatagnier has been bad enough to, I guess, warrant that so far. Like, I think Mike likes him over there. I think he likes having bench in the outfield. I think he likes kind of rotating that outfield slot around, having that infield set, and the chemistry he has across with Servideo. But, yeah, sure, if you get to a certain point and you're continuing to make those errors, because that one under run, like in a game like that, could have been the difference. Obviously, it was not, but it very easily could have. And so, sure, if if – you know, he's still at what? He's 243 with the 748 OPS. He's got nine hits and 37 at bats. He has, he is walking at a decent rate. The top of that lineup and the middle of that lineup, are, and we'll get to this in a second, are drawing a decent amount of walks. He's getting on base. He's still productive at, on the base pass. Like, yeah, it's definitely something to keep an eye on, is probably the best way I'd answer that. It's not nothing, but I don't know if it's something yet. And at least if they do have to make a change, which you hope they don't, because that would mean the kid struggles. Uh, Bench is a pretty viable option there, though, right? Yeah, sure. Bench was fine at second base last year. Honestly, Mike loved him to a fault last year. Uh, You know, he missed uh, seven, eight weeks of the season as a freshman with a broken hand. And ironically enough, I think it was the state series. Bench comes back in his first at bat off a broken hand. Mike asked him to lay down a bunt. (laughs) Uh, so so maybe i'm contradicting myself here uh in terms of him loving him to a fault but yeah bench is a viable option and you know i what's happened there by the way they are not laying down bunts i mean what have they done two all season okay hold on hold that thought for a second because i think it goes into a larger picture of just how atypical this team is and we'll get that in a second but is there anything else that stands out to you about 
Let's see, let's go Saturday's game in general, then we'll kind of get into Sunday's game, and that'll probably lead us into where you're going right now and to where I want to get to in just a second. Uh, so, like, is there anything else that really stuck out to you this weekend other than this team hits the ball over the fence? Uh, yeah, they hit a ton. They, they're... <laughs> Their offensive approach reminds me of a major league team. I mean, we talk about it all the time. It's a three out, they're a three-outcome team. I mean, you're walk, exactly strike right. out, you're home run? Yeah, I mean, you're exactly right. Well, they were like three for something with runners in scoring position, but it doesn't matter if you're hitting the ball over the fence. Yeah. Is that sustainable? Yeah, I think so. You think so? I mean, because like, if you look at Kale Baker – he didn't have the best weekend, but still, anytime he's up to, he he's a threat, an RBI threat every at bat. So if he goes zero for three one day, and one for three the next day, that one hit could be a three run home run. Yeah, and it's the same thing with. I mean, it's interesting. The biggest like it's quickly becoming, and this is actually where I was going to anyway. I don't necessarily know why I was holding off on it, but it's it's like. The middle of that lineup to me was the biggest question mark. Were they going to hit at the same power rate? Were they going to drive in runs as last year's were? And to this point, they're doing it better. I mean, the the whole Tyler Keenan's off to a slow start really kind of flipped this weekend, right? I think his. I don't necessarily. I'm not a numbers nerd, but I also know that batting average isn't almost the useful stat. But when you raise and drop your average in a quick amount of time, it is a good indication of how you're hitting and seeing the ball. And I think he's already up to like 341 from what was like one, I think it was in the ones at some point during Xavier. And so again, batting average, not the most, uh, you know, accurate gauge of hitting and how you are as a pitcher. But when you raise it 200 something points in a short amount of time, it's obviously showing that you hit, you know, you're hitting the ball better. And so, you know, Keenan was Keenan two or three home runs this weekend. I can't remember. He goes four for four on Sunday. afternoon. Yeah. He had one Friday and one Sunday. Uh, you know, he had a couple of decent plays defensively too. I believe that saved a run or two in that seventh or eighth inning against Indiana. It was a huge weekend. Kids going back for his home state, but he Baker, all those kids are at power. Even dudes you're not seeing play every day. Kevin Graham hitting the ball over the fence, like when he gets an opportunity. What he was two for four with a homer and a double on Sunday, and then I think he had a walk that turned into one of those two runs on Saturday. So you're having you talk about the the, the shot and yay thing, and I guess. And I, I didn't know how exactly I wanted to finish that thought, but when you have so many guys contributing in the outfield, having bench be able to slide over there and play second base or play in the outfield in terms of like do if bench it and in the outfield dudes hitting behind him, the Kevin Graham's obviously Kevin Graham still, at least in Mike's eyes, whether he wants to say it or not, seems like a matchup guy in terms. He doesn't totally trust him against uh left-hander left-handed pitching. So it's, it's, it's they have they seemingly for as bad as the outfield hit the first two weekends, it's seemingly kind of rounding into form and them having options. But it's this weird dynamic of Ely Salmon's defense versus like Elko Graham Bench, who's oh Bench is okay defensive. Would be Kevin Graham and Tim Elko are not out there to uh, make web gems. They're out there to drive in runs and hit the ball over the fence. And I mean, I don't mean to be crude, but not make an ass out of themselves defensively. You know what I mean? Play a Thomas Dillard type left field. Because Dillard, is, as rough as he was his freshman year, actually turned into a like respectable, de- decent defensive 
uh, for the college level defensive outfielder. So there seem like they are having some bench options there. And then that doesn't even really count like a Knox LaPoster type kid who, granted, I don't think he can play outfield, probably a DH decent backup catcher option, but he's hitting the ball over the fence when he gets opportunities. They, they have dudes off the bench that are hitting for power, which makes any sort of minor, uh, you can li- you can live with the field like you can live with some question marks in the field or some lineup uncertainties like that when you have that many options off the bench. But anyway, where we were getting to with that larger thought, what this team now has, I want to make sure I get the numbers exactly right. Twenty one home runs with seventy seven runs driven in on the year, and they are also. Again, make sure I have that. 21 home runs, 109 strikeouts, but they've drawn 58 walks. Like, to your point, you talk about it being a major league team. This is more of what more major league clubs are going to. They don't give a shit if you strike out if you're hitting the ball over the fence and getting on base and driving in runs. And this is not typically what you've seen from Mike Bianco's teams. And you mentioned the sack butt thing a second ago. There's Two been of kind them, right? of rumblings that I think. But again, like when it's hard for me to remember when the sack bunts were versus when he did it, then it's probably a good sign. So, you know, there's been rumblings that they've bought more into analytics, and that's just generally kind of a blanket statement people say sometimes. But the way this team is constructed and the way they're hitting the ball over the fence, not really giving a damn about strikeouts and not doing sacrifice bunts, that is every other, like if you're looking for clues and hints of a more analytically sound team and adopting to more modern baseball philosophies, those are your three biggest ones. I mean, that's really what everyone talks about, right? Just on the base form of analytics. So I would say, yes, there's definitely a change there. And the two sack bunts is not by accident. So this is probably a question that you can't answer, but where did this come from? Because, you, I mean, for 19 years or 20, has it been 20 or has it been 19? Oh, one. Is this I guess year 21 or year 20? I think this is year 19, isn't it? I mean, how, what does it matter? It doesn't matter. Two, for two, it's decades, two decades. It has been the same thing. That is why you have these people that, that just want change for change's sake because it's been the same. And the atmosphere in the stadium, which Ole Miss marketing people, I know I know at least one of you listen to this, you've got to make some changes to your baseball game day atmosphere. It's just the same thing. Nothing's changed. Like, add some stuff, take some stuff away, like, have a better, um, like, scoring runs song. You know, something a little bit more hype. That's just my suggestion. Anyway, it's been the same thing for, like, two decades. And now suddenly... It feels like everything about the way they approach winning games is different. Where did that come from? What you're saying is is to let the Yellow Cup win. Yeah. <laughs> or go find three drunk students in the outfield and let them wear the cups. You know, just little tweaks here or there to make it feel like if you've been to one Ole Miss game, you haven't been to them all, you know? But it, the program has felt – people use the word stale. And I understand why, because like Mississippi State goes to Omaha more than them. But if winning is stale, then God bless you. But I understand where that comes from. It's the same thing every year. The teams feel the same every year. The approach is the same every year. The coaching decisions are the same every year. Now suddenly, 
They're hitting home runs more than anybody else in the country, and he's had teams that hit for power, but they are their, their approach is different than it's ever been. They're not laying down bunts. It just feels different now. So after 20 years of stubbornness and the same thing, why now? I don't know. That's a good question that honestly probably is worth digging into. Like, why is this happening now? Why is this is? Um, I'm just going to take a guess and purely speculate just off of what I know right now, which honestly is not much in terms of just like generally how and why this is happening. But maybe it's just a product of who they're recruiting. Because you have a Kale Baker, a Ben Van Cleve, uh, a Kevin Graham, uh, not exactly a defensive savant, but hits the ball over the fence, hits for power, granted only against one type of pitcher. But it's just kind of the way this team is. Tyler Keenan, not a defensive gym third baseman, but made a couple plays on Sunday that helped, but hits the ball over the fence. Uh, Anthony Servidio, a guy that you didn't think would be more of your traditional kind of Mike Bianco middle infielder type of deal. You know, Greg Kessinger hits for a little bit of enough power, but really just kind of hits a lot of doubles and gets on base a ton. Well, he's hitting the ball over the fence. So it, 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 some of it, I'm not going to say some of it's by accident, but some of it I'm not sure if it's 100% intended or 100% what they thought they'd be. Because, I mean, how you, we were talking about last week, Servideo was saying the coaching staff was on him a bunch about gaining weight. And, and you know, they figured he could hit the ball to the gaps and be a good doubles hitter and get on base and be productive at the top of the lineup. And so for him, the surge in power is just kind of a bonus for them. So it, it, I think it's a little bit of a product of just who they're playing, whether it's Kale Baker Ben Van Cleve, you know, Elko, whomever. But also some of it is just kind of a bonus. Like, I don't think they thought they would have this type of power from Servidio. So, I mean, you're talking Servidio, Keenan, Baker, Graham, Elko in your Sunday lineup. That's what, five, six? Is that six dudes or five? Servidio, Baker, Keenan, Graham, Elko. That's five. So that's five of your guys right there who are pretty regularly hitting the ball you know, hitting home runs. So, mm-hmm. so some of it's just a product of who they are and who this team is. You know, I don't know if it's a hundred percent on purpose. Like I said, it'd be interesting to find out, but it's just kind of a product of the personnel they have. And I mean, hell <laughs> it's working. Like they're, yeah, uh, no, it's working great. That's the thing is like that when you watch this team, I know it's early. God, it's March 2nd. So, but with the, the slate that they've played so far with Louisville, and I don't know what Louisville's done since the Ole Miss series, but I believe you baseball people, when you say they're going to be fine and probably host a regional again, like they're just that talented. Um, and then dominate Xavier, which whatever, but, I mean, ECU and Indiana are two good baseball teams. And, and right now, with the way they're playing, they, they are just soundly beating good baseball teams. Like, this team looks like one that can go – through an SEC slate and win more than they lose, which will get you a regional host. And then it looks like a team that is equipped to win a regional. And then, I don't know, man. I just The conversation we were having before the season started versus what we've seen from this team is, is different. And, I mean, they might just be really good. Yeah, I, I mean, again, March, it's, it's you it's know. March 2nd. <laughs> it's March right. 2nd. But I mean, like to your point, the way they're playing, I mean, it it it's, it feels like a staying power type of thing. Like, they're not so, beating uh, Mississippi Valley State and then Western Carolina and Yale in the first three weekends. It's Louisville, it's ECU, it's Indiana, and it's dominating. Who's going to finish second in the Big East potentially? Yeah, I mean, you're right on it there. So, like, you know, it's interesting. What you had 
homer and a couple of singles on Friday, another one Saturday, another one Sunday. And they're also getting, like, to me, from another thing I kind of see from this team, when they need, like, big at-bats, because, like, they, they, they stunk offensively against Alcorn. But, like, Servideo came up in the ninth and, or, wait, do I have that right? Yeah. They stunk against Alcorn. That thing got to extra innings, but Servideo gets up in the ninth. It was kind of like, to hell with this. This is going over the fence. This game has lasted too long. They weren't very good offensively against Southern Miss, but you get a pinch hit at bat from Hayden Leatherwood to where he just walks up, hunts fastball. The first thing he hit, I mean, the first thing he sees is something slow and over the middle of the plate, and he hits it over the fence. So they're getting tough at bats and they need him. What, Justin Bench, that game got tied 5-5 five to five on Sunday, and he fell behind 1-2 and then drove like a 1-2 fastball back up the middle, if I'm not mistaken, wherever it went, whatever, drove in. That was the at-bat that changed the game. So, like, like it's kind of one of those things where this team is getting, like, I hate saying timely hit and all that stuff, but this team, when they're getting tough, like when they need a good at-bat and when they need to move runners, they're doing that for the most part. They're they're kind of grit, kind of being gritty and kind of getting down in the weeds and, and producing when they have to. And a larger thought on this team that doesn't really have anything to do with this weekend that I mentioned to a couple of people this weekend uh, is this team, like, I don't, those Oxford guys in that number one recruiting class, the four Oxford guys that ended up being three in that number one class were great. They were good ball players, enjoyable to cover. They were had two really, really good teams, 18 and 19. But like, I, I'm not like knocking them, but to me, that seemed like sometimes they felt the weight of things. And you know, maybe there's no way to avoid that when you have something happen like that. Black, what do they call it? Black Monday. I was in Cincinnati for it, but. The, the Tennessee Tech thing, you know what I'm talking about. Maybe it's unavo- – I mean, it was definitely unavoidable for the 2019 season after something like that happened. But for they sure. definitely felt the weight of their – of those expectations and the past postseason failures. I mean, hell, they would talk about it when asked. Like, they didn't obviously just openly offer it up. But when asked, they wouldn't shy away from it. They'd acknowledge it. And this team is a bunch of kids from out of state. Like, I mean, look across wherever you're going. A lot of these kids, not from Mississippi, they're – young for the most part i know they have veteran pieces on there the keenans the elkos whatever but they're young they have this just kind of kind of just louder confidence and they just seem to not really give a shit and i don't mean that in a bad way like they're just playing confidently they're just having fun like it's almost they're like ignorant of what happened in postseasons past they don't really care like i mean Derek diamond for example on sunday after louisville being like yeah we thought we'd win this series but now that we did I think we're going to be good. I think we're just going to be some dogs. We're going to be tough to put put away. And, like, they seem to embody that attitude and, like, not to get too corny, but from the same just, like, emotional stuff that uh, Servideo and Chatagnier do after they win a game and the, the you know, through the legs <laughs> high five that seems to piss people don't, off. Don't like, let Arkansas team, Twitter see that. This team has a little bit of an FU attitude to it and is, a, like, definitely playing freer. I mean – Granted, they haven't had anything happen to them like a Black Monday to where there were times during that 2019 season where that team was just going through the motions and just being like, I mean, you could tell every loss was just weighing on them and they seemed bored and they knew nothing was going to matter until the postseason. This team just doesn't really seem to have any of that stress or any of those worries or anything. They're just kind of playing freely, and I think it's helping them a ton. Maybe not having a ton of expectations. Maybe being picked sixth in the West is helping them. I don't know, but I mean— it's definitely tangible. You can sense it. It's there. They're looser. They were looser in the postseason last year. 
But this is a, I agree, but this is a different kind of deal to me. Like, this like is it's a, a, it's a confidence level, maybe? No, yeah, but like last year, those two, those guys had to change who they were. Like, you know what I mean? And how so, they were. So you about think things. this is just who they are? Yes, I think this is just who this team is. You have the big chubby Kale Baker, Kenny Powers looking guy. You have Peyton Chatagnier, who's just kind of tweaking around the infield all the time, constantly moving, constantly talking. Definitely not short on confidence type of deal. Like, You've got Servideo, who's kind of a little bit the same way. Like, I, I just think, I mean, Jerry Neely's got a charismatic personality. Not that none of these dudes on the on the team last year didn't. I'm not saying that. I just think that's how a bunch of these kids are wired. And I think it's making a difference. I wonder if that was by design. Like, if they tried to recruit these type of kids or, or they just happened to, uh, to get them. But you mentioned having the fun thing. I had a little fun on, on Twitter last night. Why is it, do you have any idea why it's Arkansas fans, of all people, get really upset when the Ole Miss shortstop and second baseman do a little celebration, like between the legs thing, after they win a game? <laughs> no. Why is it those people? I, I don't so know. Mad. I've had, I mean, I'll give you a general theory. I don't know, but like, Van Horn has always had a good program. He's a great coach. They obviously have the Bordering States deal. They recruit at a high level all the time. They've been a good program. But, you know, they go to the national title series. They go back to Omaha the next year. Maybe they're just kind of feeling themselves and, like, they think the SEC is theirs. I don't know. Fans act like dickheads. Or, excuse me, buttholes. Sorry. <laughs> I have to edit that out. <laughs> but they do. Breaking news. Like, but, man, it extended. There's, a like, a radio host in Arkansas, apparently, that just absolutely hates it. Like, it drives him nuts because it's dis- disrespectful to the game or whatever. And I'm wondering, uh, do you guys realize that this is college kids playing a game? Like, I know you care. Uh, I care. I got – I was upset at a basketball game last night, okay? Like, I get it. But if you are getting that bothered and upset when college kids enjoy winning, you need to really look in the mirror and reevaluate your life and the decisions you make on a daily basis. Yeah, I mean, I just people are nuts, man. I just I have trouble putting any stock into like people getting angry on the internet these days about anything, much less two kids going through their legs after winning a game. I think it's I find it amusing. I think it's funny. I just think people are nuts, and I think like you need to like not you. I'm not talking you. I think everyone just needs to operate on on the assumption that people are crazy, and if they're not, hey, that's a nice bonus. But. We'll take a break real quick. I've got a couple more thoughts. We'll get into this because I do think one of the things with this team is bullpen and depth or lack thereof. But take a break real quick. Remind you, podcast brought to you by LB's University Avenue across from Kroger. The baseball team is back home for four games this week. Go see Greg. He can help you put decide what you want to throw on the grill out there and enjoy your weekend uh, at Swayze Field. He feeds the baseball team. He can feed you. They've got steaks, custom cuts. He's got all kinds of sausages you can go out there and grill. He's got... Uh, the Lane Kiffin special, the Keith Carter special, eight and six ounce bacon wrap fillets. Greg is uh, Greg. Like I said, feeds the baseball team. He can feed you. It's the best place in Mississippi to get meat, without a doubt. As far as the XFL, Greg went one and one on Saturday, and then I forgot to look up his Sunday picks. I think he I had watched one minute of XFL football after the opening weekend. Not one. I watched a little bit on Sunday. 
And then I watched, they had on the place I was at on the square, had Tiamu's game on next to the baseball game. So I got to watch that, which he's really putting together one hell of a season. Like you talk about the, yeah, you talk about can he be on an NFL roster, man? If you keep playing like this, somebody in the NFL is going to give him a chance to be a backup. Maybe I'm ignorant. Maybe I'm buying too much into it, but he is playing really, really well. And, you know, he's a good kid. And he's honestly a hell of a story that never really got written while he was here. But, like, no offers coming out. You know, goes to the military, JUCO, like comes to Ole he Miss. He came to Ole Miss to be a backup. Like that's yeah, why he say, signed. He was never supposed to play here. Like <laughs> and he's he a great story. Being better than Shea Patterson, who, by the way, I don't know if you saw some of the cuts. Uh, the combine throwing drills did not go well. Well, it was probably uh, Michigan's offensive coordinator's fault. So tough, oh, uh, sure. tough on him. I really, but, I do feel bad for that kid uh, because. It, he was pulled in a lot of directions where a usual not insane parent would not have pulled him. But anyway, continue. <laughs> Finishing up that thought, all that aside, I'll get Greg's final two picks here in a second and uh, recap what he did on the weekend. Maybe one of you out there knows and wants to tweet me, but hey, go see him, University Avenue across from Kroger. Uh, he loves it when people go in there and demand picks. I don't know if he actually loves it, but I think he found it humorous. We had a listener or two go in there last week and be like, hey, man, do you do basketball? <laughs> So hopefully they bought some meat as well. But anyway, go see him University Avenue across from Kroger. Okay, so the last thing I think that's probably needed to be covered with baseball this weekend is the bullpen or the lack of depth. Because the starting rotation was absolutely phenomenal this week. I guess there's two things. We'll talk a little bit Derek Diamond, and we'll talk a little bit about the bullpen. But Friday was about as... Like it was about as like if you if you go if you're a baseball coach and you go into the season I mean, you, excuse me you go into the game with a plan or a blueprint pitching wise Friday was about as easy as you could draw it up I mean I think that went exactly according to plan for Mike Bianco Doug Nikhazy turned in a solid outing what he goes six he goes five and two thirds he allowed two earned runs on four hits five strikeouts a walk. I don't know how many pitches he was on that. They don't have this on the box score, but then it bridges it to Austin Miller who got five outs, scattered three hits. Wasn't the most effortless thing, but he was pretty damn good. Taylor Broadway finished it off for a four out. Uh, it was, yes, it had to have been a safe situation. It was four runs. So, and with scatters, one hit with the strikeout. Those are your two. Those are your, like, if you include Nikhazy, those are your three biggest guns aside from Forsyth, which we'll get to in just a second. Like, that's what like if you're in a high leverage situation, you're in a game you need to win on a Friday night in the SEC. That's probably what you're doing. Maybe you go Miller straight to straight to Forsyth or Broadway straight to Forsyth, but like pitching wise, that's about as good as they added up. Broadway's been really good. Forsyth has been pretty good when he throws strikes, and Miller's been as good as advertised. After that, it gets a little bit shaky. But on Saturday, it was a little bit of the same thing. Like they were pretty good. They what? It was a two one game. They go from Hoagland to Chofi to Forsyth, Chofie. and they only yeah. gave up one hit in three innings combined. Exactly. So Chofi, which it honestly may be a little bit of an X factor here, Chofi comes in, and he's been really good of lately. I'm about to pull up his numbers on the year, but on Saturday he goes two innings, allows one hit, strikes out four, was really just kind of dominant and nasty, and you could tell he was, <laughs> he was a little bit keyed up. Uh, but he comes in, and it's kind of the same thing Saturday. You go Chofi, Forsyth, Forsyth picks up his third save. He's like, if you're, I, 
I no one ever asked Mike this that uh, we have. There's like a running joke about Parrish Offord asking about the closer every year because that's just <laughs> seems to be what Parrish does. But he's the closer. If you his the, he has the most electric stuff on the team. If you can get the kid to throw strikes, he is the he's going to be your closer. Just nasty electric stuff. And Sunday, I think he comes back out for his second save in a row. I believe 15 or 16 of the pitches he threw of the 22 pitches he threw were strikes. So if you can get that kid's command honed in, he's going to be a pretty good closer. I figured they'd go with a little different style and either go Broadway or Miller, but this Forsyth kid has really come on. So Saturday was kind of the same thing, but Sunday you didn't have Miller available because you had he was dealing with some back discomfort or side discomfort, I think is what Mike Bianco told the radio broadcast after the game. And, you know, Taylor Broadway had thrown 50 pitches on Friday. He ends up coming back in and you go Forsyth again. But in the middle innings where you needed to bridge the game, it got a little bit iffy. And that's where I don't think it's necessarily a huge deal. But if you're looking for one storyline to monitor, it's to me the lack of bullpen depth after three guys. I think he trusts Chofi. I think he trusts Broadway. I think he trusts Miller. I think I think and what baby, about the this big the big freshman uh that looked really good against Louisville uh got got the quick hook. Yeah, I guess Bert, they said he was sick. It uh, was it the Southern Miss game where uh Yes, Wes Burton. Yeah. Uh, um I assume he's going to pitch here in the midweek if he ends up looking the way I thought he was going to look against Southern he would factor in on the weekends too, no? No, yeah, I think so as well. But that's to, he that's was kind great of against I'm, Louisville. That's kind of what I'm getting to. I think there's two categories here. So I think he trusts Forsyth. Excuse me. I think he trusts Broadway. I think he trusts Miller. I think he trusts Chofi, which maybe would not have 100% been on my list of dudes Mike Bianco has like 100% faith in going into the year, but he's been pretty good. Then there's this group, and two of them you saw on Sunday left hander Benji Gilbert. Logan Savell came in after him. Gilbert goes two, uh, two-thirds of an inning, allows two hits, two earned runs, a couple of strikeouts. Like four, you know, he gave up two hits in the four batters he faced. Logan Savell comes in. I think what he had a HBP and a hit and gave up a run. Wasn't good. So between the two of them, they got two outs. And then Broadway comes in and was fine, scatters three hits, goes two innings, and Forsyth finishes it with the four-out save, relatively stress-free. So... Those two middle guys, the Benji Gilbert, Logan Savell, like I think, and Mike said this after the midweek game on Tuesday or Wednesday, whatever it was, he needs to see what he has in these young guys because, granted, he's had teams when me and you shockingly looked up that 2012 thing and saw R.J. Hively through 97 innings over a weekend or whatever the hell it was. <laughs> like he's had teams like that, but he need you need to pad some bullpen depth. And after those three dudes, the Broadways, the Millers, the Chofies, and the Forsythes. You have this Logan Savell, Benji Gilbert, uh, Kimbrell, Wes Burton. You haven't really seen much of Drew McDaniel after his name being mentioned a bunch in the fall. I think he's only pitched once. Kind of coming into this last week of non-conference play, and it's going to leak in a little some in the conference play, he needs to see who he has in these four freshmen or newcomers or whatever, these younger pitchers. Savell's a sophomore, I believe. But he needs to see what he has in them. Because if he can get particularly one of the left-handers, Kimbrell or Benji uh, Gilbert, like that kind of can change the ceiling of your season. If you can get one more guy, preferably one that throws from the left side, that you can really trust and put in situations that matter, that's going to change the ceiling of this team. I don't think it's a huge deal right now. You can get by on what you have. But if you can get one of those guys where you actually trust them, I think that dramatically changes how you look at this team in a postseason. Because when it's 
you know, I don't know where this team's going to end up, but if you're in game three of a regional and maybe you're not in the winner's bracket or maybe you're a two seed or hell, maybe you're in the second game trying to take control of someone else's regional on your own and you got to get into that fourth guy if a game goes awry, where are you going to go and who are you going to go with? So I think they need at least one more arm they can kind of count on. And there's some candidates there. Like Savelle and Gilbert weren't good in this game. I don't know if that necessarily X's them off the list type of deal. But you just haven't seen enough yet. And I think part of it is just because there's been so many guys. I mean, hell, before last week, Forsyth went like nine days without pitching. And he's he's a team's closer. So it's just one of those things. So I think that's the last thing to probably keep an eye on. Uh, I don't think anything else stood out baseball-wise. I think we just about covered that, didn't we? I know batting average isn't the best stat, but um, what about a guy like Cale Baker? Uh, his has gone down pretty significantly. Are you worried about some of the the drop-off in production from a few of these guys in the order? Uh, depends on who they are. Kel Baker, no. I mean, he's going to strike out, and if he continues to hit it over the fence, he'll be okay. Uh, you know, maybe at the top of the order, if, if Stravideo stops hitting and producing and you know being more productive at the plate, then maybe I'm, he's been <laughs> – you can't critique the kid right now, but it, I, to me, the answer to that question is it depends on who it is. Is it a Keenan or a Baker? Not necessarily because, again, Baker's going to strike out. He's going to hit the ball over the fence. What he's got, four home runs, 12 RBIs. He's slugging 556, but he's got a 194 average <laughs> with 14 <laughs> strikeouts. But he's also drawn eight walks. Yeah, like that's second most on the team behind Servidio, who's drawn a ridiculous twelve in eleven games. Good and lord, Servidio's on base percentage is almost six hundred. His OPS is thirteen eighty eight. That's. <laughs> <laughs> but to your point, with as bad as as, as Baker's averages, he still had an eight ninety six OPS. That's not world beating, but it's better than average. It's a slightly slightly better than average. So no, I don't think as long as they continue to drive in runs and hit the ball out of the ballpark. No, but if the strikeouts come and the home run cease and that OPS starts dipping down in the sevens or sixes, then sure. But he's drawing walks and he's getting on base. So as, as long as that on-base percentage and that slugging percentage are still fine, you're still a productive ball player. So no, Man, these, these so. on-base percentages, and uh, as you just mentioned, both of those are unbelievable. Well, I mean, kind of an equal, the home run is the great equalizer. What, they've drawn 58 walks as a team this year, 109 strikeouts with 21 home runs. I think you'll take that clip pretty much. Yeah, they'll 16 win a to 17 bunch of games on stolen and fight bases. For a national seed with those kind of numbers. Yeah, exactly. So, like, and then you've got, I mean, and you go into the bench. Like, this is me talking about options earlier. You've got Hayden Leatherwood, who's what? I think he's six for his first 18 with a couple home runs and the opportunity he's gotten. Knox LaPosser has hit two home runs and six at bats. Like, Ben Van Cleve's been good when you needed him to. You've got three dudes on the bench to where. If you got guys struggling or you need to make a little tweak, those guys can come in and kind of give you a little bit of a jolt. So, no, I don't think the batting average thing is worrying. Although, I would love to see Mike Bianco's face when you ask him if he's worried about batting average because that's going to be the ultimate, like, internal conflict for that guy. (laughs) The right answer is no, but he so badly wants to say yes. So, uh, no, I do think it's something to monitor, though, going forward. That's about all we got, though, I think, baseball-wise. I think we just about covered what was a – yeah, what's Pretty, next? Princeton? Yeah, so they go Memphis in the midweek at home, who Memphis lost two or three from Xavier. Again, you can't take too, too much conclusions out of baseball, but from the Xavier team I saw, uh, good good Lord, how does that happen? But anyway, Let's check yeah. them out. Memphis baseball, uh, they have won 
one, two, three, four, five, six, seven in a row. So they swept Dayton, beat Central Arkansas in the midweek, and swept Western Illinois, including two scores of twenty-four to three and twenty-three to eight. That'll play. <laughs> the, uh, but did anything else earth-shattering happen around the SEC? I know State struggled at Long Beach State. Yeah, uh, they get they um, they got west coasted, is what you call that. Well, yeah, they and, got pitched to death. They did. Um, but life after JT Ginn, I mean, if he can't go, uh, the the lineup should be okay. There are some veterans in that lineup that hit pretty well a year ago. But, I mean, now you're without a guy like uh, Jake Mangum. I tried to watch as much as I could of their game on Friday. And it, it seemed like they were still missing that guy. You know what I mean? I mean? It was a struggle. They had a crafty little lefty they were up against. And they just didn't have that one dude that will go slap a single out in the outfield, you know, like just over the shortstop's head or whatever, and get on base and then steal second and just generate some shit like Jake Mangum Yeah, just get people going. Like, energy in baseball, people think is a dumb word, but there is something to that. Yeah, and I feel like, uh, of course they are. I mean, this idea, this idea that they were going to not miss a beat uh, offensively without probably the greatest hitter in school history and one of the greatest hitters in SEC history, and then their most clutch hitter they've had in a very, very, very long time, just being without those guys, they weren't going to miss a beat. I mean, that was always insanity. The offense should still be pretty good, but my God. I mean, of course they're going to miss those guys, and I think that is part of their issue right now in Long Beach especially, but they had a really bad week. I think part of that is because you're missing veteran leaders like that. And then even though Friday pitching wasn't the issue, they've really got to figure some things out if JT Ginn is out for an extended period of time, if not the entire season. Because I don't think they've got um, enough starting pitching to match the rest of the SEC. So very interesting few weeks coming up for that baseball team. They've got to find a way to get some energy offensively because they were really bad this week and then figure out what they're doing post-JT again. Yeah, and if you're struggling offensively, going out to play a West Coast team that's like Long Beach that embodies that type of play more so than perhaps any other team. I know UCLA's got it down pretty good, same with Stanford, but like I mean, that's like having a liver problem and the doctor giving you a beer. Like That's just like them struggling at the plate and working through some stuff and then having to go out there and do that is like, that's a tough draw. You would have liked to write state. You would have liked to Princeton or something like that to come home, work yeah. things, some things out and kind of get through it. I think they'll end up being okay. But to your point, like sometimes you get intoxicated. I mean, they're, they're a program that's come off back to back Omaha trips. Like you just kind of assume it's going to keep coming. And I'm not saying they're not, or it won't, but you did like, sometimes that maybe blinds you from realizing like what you lost and maybe the importance of it. Like even from an intangibles perspective, like the Mangum thing. And then, I mean, hell, you lose your Friday night guy who's going to be a first-round pick. That, that's not nothing. That cripples some team seasons. I don't think it'll cripple them, but it's not nothing. So Right. And, no, I mean, like you said, they're still they're, they're still so talented, and th- they'll beat a lot of people, and they'll play good baseball. Chris Lamonis has a track record of having good baseball teams, so I suspect this one will be fine, too. Um, but those are some big losses, man, and, and it's just hard to overcome. But – uh, just what the doctor ordered. They get Southern Miss and Pearl this week, and uh, that's a tough Southern team. But then they have Quinnipiac for a three-game set this weekend, so a chance for them to right the ship for sure. Elsewhere around the SEC, I saw Arkansas 
when were Arkansas and LSU at the same same thing? That was the Houston deal. Yes. So LSU gets no hit by Oklahoma, right? Or no, Arkansas. Who got no hit by Oklahoma? LSU got no hit by Oklahoma. And then Arkansas went 0 and 3. Arkansas went 0-3 on the weekend, which is really respectful if you think about it because you need to resist the urge to celebrate, and they wanted to make sure that they did not celebrate. They went ahead and lost all three games this weekend. That's just class, man. That's just pure class from a class organization like them. That's kind of life around the SEC this weekend. I don't think anything else earth-shattering uh, happened. Georgia beat Georgia Tech in a series. I don't know if that's noteworthy or not. Man, Georgia um, Tech, as much as Richard hates them, a decent baseball club. Yeah. Uh, let's see. No, I don't think there was – South Carolina's not good, by the way. They're, they're just not. They got beat 2-3 from Clemson. They're uh, – they're missing three arms, I think, already due to uh, season-ending injury, and they're just—they're not good. Yeah, Tennessee's kind of becoming that story of the East in terms of like who's that third-place team, or excuse me, fourth team that's going to kind of be scrappy behind the three-headed beast that is Georgia, Florida, and Vanderbilt. Uh, Tennessee getting Garrett Crochet back is—they're uh, going to be tough, which is. Uh, Tennessee's an incredibly hard baseball job, but Vitello, whatever that guy's name is, if he can kind of turn them into a perennial regional team, that's as good of a job pound for pound as anyone's going to do in college baseball. It's a tough sell, and uh, the fact that they're good, and you've seen it before where Tennessee's run through non-conference play and then really struggled once they got to the SEC, but uh, if that's legit, then that's a uh, hats off to them. That's a pretty good job. Uh, Transitioning to basketball, which is kind of the last thing we have before we probably get to some random stuff and get out of here. But Ole Miss wins against Vanderbilt. Vanderbilt, really Ole Miss just dominated this game from the start. And you had all five starters score in double figures with Bree and Tyree having the fewest of any of them. He had 11 points on like, I'm going to pull it up real quick, but nine shots, something like that. Like he was, wasn't was a non-factor, but he wasn't the uh, I'm going to shoulder this and put this team on my back type of guy. And they didn't necessarily need it. It's Vanderbilt, but this team played a good, clean game. I think it was their best offensive performance of the season. They had 26 assists on 35 made baskets. They rebounded the ball well. I mean, talk about Jekyll and Hyde or whatever you want to say about teams like this, but this was just another head-scratcher because I know it's Vanderbilt, but the manner in which they played, it's like, hey, you bring that to you know Missouri the other week, you're probably walking out with a W. Yeah, just – um. It makes you wonder why, though, doesn't it? I mean, what is leading to such inconsistency from this team? I don't know. I mean, C has 12 of 6 on 5 of 7 shooting. Blake Henson had 13. Devontae Shuler, 7 of 12, made 4 of his 5 three-point shots, had 6 assists and 18 points. Like, K.J. Buffin was 8 of 11, and all of that pretty much came in the paint. He only got to the line one time, didn't really make it. He didn't make a three-pointer. I mean, he's like, – exactly. It's like, what is this – what, like what? Where was this a long time ago? I guess that's what makes you think. But you take out the again. I, I I'm not gonna give like if someone gets a pass in this, in terms of like like them having a put together a longer stretch of good games outside of Auburn. C's been good for a month now. Like he's a guy. If he comes back next year, uh, like they, I think that's turning into a guy. They obviously kind of have. He seems like one of those kids you have to keep motivated. You kind of have to make sure. He kind of stays with everything and does everything you need to do off the court. 
or not off the court, off the game floor, whether it's practice or anything. But like to me, he's turning into a guy. The Auburn game, notwithstanding, this is a large enough sample size to where I think he he he's someone they can count on next year. He's been good. Like he's been a good productive player for a month outside of whatever the hell he did at Auburn. Now next year they're going to count on him to the point where he can't really have that type of game. But you know, seeing this from Henson and Buffin late in the year is encouraging. I don't really know what Shuler's future holds, but if you get him back next year, that's a huge one. Like suddenly. As bad as they played at times, you're seeing things from other guys not named Tyreed that is making you think, okay, with some with a little bit of roster attrition, a little bit more help, they could be okay. Yeah, I'm with you. Um, why would he not stay though? You said if he stays, what? Well, there was. Are you talking about C or uh, Schuler? C. Well, I mean, he's a kid that's at his third school. I mean, he's, he goes Virginia Tech, like JUCO. I mean. Some of these kids are just like, I want to get paid for this and want to go play overseas. And like, I, to me, I'm just leaving that oh, possibility. Oh, you think open. that's where he would? Li- oh, okay. I haven't, I, I haven't talked. That's not. That's just speculation. I haven't talked to anyone around the program that thinks that. But I mean, I, I think you leaving the possibility open is wise. Just like I said, just because. I mean, third school. Like, I don't know. I, I would think he comes back, but again, just leaving the possibility open. Kind of the same with Schuler. I don't really know what he's going to do. There were some rumblings about whether he'd come back or go play professionally after last year. Um, I think both of them will come back, but I'll get a better sense of that in March as this team's season ends and actually kind of know with not certainty, but have an idea and an educated opinion. But yeah, I don't know what <laughs> I don't know what else to say about this one. Vanderbilt stinks. Yeah, they're not good, and I watched. Uh, Darius Garland play the other night, and I am very confident that Vanderbilt would not have gone 0-18 and fired Bryce Drew if he was healthy. In fact, they probably – I mean, this is a bit of a hot take, but, man, I bet they get to 500 in the SEC with just him. He is, as a young NBA player, exceptional. And you put a guy like him just on any college team, and they win games. Yeah, I mean, I get it. Bryce Drew going zero and eighteen, but like, part of you's thinking, eh, like, like he got that player to campus, and they were one player away from the cover being really bare. Like, do you think was it premature axing? Because now the oh the no, I mean, they they should have fired him. I mean, even he, without Darius Garland, you should not go zero and eighteen. But I am confident that they would have won some games with just him on that team. I agree, but to be fair, they don't have Darius Garland this year, and they're probably going one and one and seventeen. Hey, man, improvement. Yeah, I mean, they have, but I don't know who they have left this last week, but I do know they're sitting at one win. Stackhouse seems like a charismatic dude. I have no idea whether he can coach or not. Not saying he can or can't, but like. Tornado it, sirens going off. Is Are they testing him, I guess? I think uh, we're supposed to get weather like this today. I don't know. Sky is kind of gray. I am in Jackson. I'll be at the big studio for uh, the show today. But no, uh, there's no way. Like, may, my weather app, I guess they're just testing it. Oh, well, may, they usually don't do it at this time, but. Maybe it's the apocalypse. Who knows? But that the, would uh, be nice. I, th- I think I, I love it. Like uh, what Stackhouse reminded me. I've heard people being like, "Well, he's going to have things going in the right direction soon." It's like actually, if a guy sits down and sounds charismatic in a press conference, people tend to say things like that about you. I don't know if he can coach. I don't know if he can't. But uh, he seems like a smart guy. So that's about all I've got on that one. There wasn't a whole lot. Ole Miss playing out the string. You have senior night uh, Tuesday against Missouri. Or excuse me, that's Wednesday. Wednesday night against Missouri. Uh, it'll be a nice ceremony for Tyree. He deserves it. He's been a hell of a player for the program. But, you know, 
playing out the string here. Maybe they win a couple games in Nashville. You get to like Friday or something, and you're like, oh, you get to Saturday. You never know type of deal. But, you know, it is what it is at this point. With and the they're not making team. the NIT, are they? I don't think so. I mean, I, I don't know enough about the NIT criteria, but I, it, it doesn't seem like it. Well, if you, don't if you, all 32 second-place teams automatically get an NIT bid? And uh, it's something like that? Something. I, hell, I don't know. I, I, I probably up. need to look into that this week. But that's, uh, that's what they've got in front of them. Before we wrap up, is there anything else pressing on uh, that happened in the sports world over the weekend? I don't know. Okay. Uh, Here's, here's where I got confused. Automatic bids for the NIT are given to any team that is the regular season champion of its conference but does not get an NCAA tournament bid. Oh, that's actually a pretty good rule. I like that. Because I've always thought what, what the point of the regular season is for these one-bid leagues when you're literally just playing for seeding. Like, that must be tough. So you get postseason play if you win your league in one of those type of leagues. I think that's a good rule. I like yeah, that. I like that. But uh, as far as pressing sports things, uh, I mean, LeBron Zion 2.0 was uh, even better than the first one last yeah, night. Yeah, I was coming home last night. I didn't get to co- I didn't get to watch any of that. How was that? Well, the, Pel- the, the Pels played like shit. I mean, just turned the basketball over. They were pressing, but still had a chance uh, in the fourth to win, and LeBron was just too much. I mean, he... He did it with Giannis, too, but there's something about playing against, like, the next star in the league that really gets him locked in. And But on top of that, uh, Alvin Gentry, I like, the Pelicans coach, but you watched the, the first game between them when they were just trying to have Drew guard LeBron in isolation and just hope that worked. And, of course, it didn't work because Drew gives up, I don't know, five inches and 50 pounds on LeBron, Rippy did, they did the exact same thing, but with Josh Hart instead of Drew Holiday, who also yeah. gives up about five inches and 50 pounds on him. Well, yeah, I was listening to an NBA pod last week after that matchup, and I, I can't maybe it was uh, Chris Vernon's Ringer NBA show, but I, uh, I don't, like, as much as everyone wants the LeBron-Zion first-round matchup, and I'm in that camp too, don't dislike the Grizzlies at all, but LeBron-Zion in five games and for the 1-8, would be awesome like count me in but it is a disastrous matchup the lakers are a disastrous matchup for just about anyone but that's a terrible one particularly for new orleans not that it matters them getting to the postseason would be a tremendous accomplishment it would be fun for everyone the ratings would skyrocket because it's lebron and because it's zion williamson but like matchup wise like they would be no threat to do anything but it'd still oh, be fun they don't have they don't have the length uh, to defend him because zion needs a lot of work defensively he just gets lost i mean uh, he's two years removed from high school. So the the complex offenses in the NBA are his head is spinning when he plays defense. So you can't put him on LeBron because it wouldn't work. So you, they try to get their best, just overall defenders to guard him, but he's just too big and physical uh, to do that. But my thinking is if Danny green beats you because you doubled LeBron, fine, fine. Uh, oh, whatever. But if you are letting LeBron James just back down Josh Hart over and over and over again in the fourth quarter, you deserve to lose the damn game. What are you doing? Like LeBron had multiple trips in the fourth quarter of just easy buckets because as good of a player as Josh Hart is, especially defensively, um, he can't guard LeBron because he gives up five inches and 50 pounds on him. So LeBron just backs him down and turns around and and lays one in. It's so frustrating. I don't know why they don't fix that. If you leave Danny Green open on the perimeter, so be it. If he makes a shot, that's fine. But you are guaranteeing a basket 
when you let the Lakers do a clear out and let four guys stand around the perimeter and have Josh Hart and LeBron on the block. You're going to lose that matchup every single time. And they, they just keep doing it. It kills me. And on the Lakers front, you've been so like everyone's been talking about how they've passed the Clippers and stuff to where like because the Clippers to uh, to quote Bill Simmons have acted like a team that's on their like fourth title run in five years or something like that when in reality you haven't accomplished anything. You've had injuries like Paul George and Kawhi never play together, but they're uh, they're starting to kind of like put it all together and dudes are playing every night and they're beating the absolute crap out of people. Uh, so. The inevitable LA LA thing we think we have coming to us in the NBA playoffs, I, I, I keep I've gone back and forth five times on who I think's gonna win. Because the Clippers, like I do think there's something to chemistry. I do think there's something to just for nine minutes in the fourth quarter, Anthony Davis and LeBron James doing pick and roll and like there's nothing you can do. But the the Clippers, when uh, completely healthy, have like five, six wings that you can run at them for short periods of time. They're not gonna stop them, but like like to me, Kawhi looks healthy and has started playing defense now, and then you have all these wings. Like, if there's a team designed to beat the Lakers, it's the Clippers. So, like, I'm still conflicted again. I still think the Clippers win that series. I feel like I'm crazy, but maybe not. Well, the Lakers don't have any depth. And, and man, people are starting to learn as good of a player as Anthony Davis is, and he is exceptional. Um, he's fragile and shies away from physicality. So, um, th- there are blemishes on the Lakers team. Depth, they don't have any. Guard plays not very good outside of the aforementioned Danny Green. Um, I, I guess Caldwell Pope's an okay shooter, but, I mean, you, you bring Rondo and Alex Caruso off the bench. You know, it's just not a team that has a whole lot of depth. You have a star in Anthony Davis that disappears in the fourth quarter and shies away from physicality, and the, the Clippers are going to be the exact opposite. I mean, they bring quality guys off the bench who aren't afraid to bang and be physical with you, and they have the length to defend you. I, I like the Clippers, too. I still think the Bucks are going to win the whole thing. But maybe I'm crazy. The only team that could really match up with the Bucks is Philly, I think, out of the East. I don't like Toronto's got a good but thing. Now going. both of their guys are banged up. I mean, how healthy are they going to be? Right. And they've, uh, exactly. So I could do, take Philly at full strength. Boston would be kind of okay. Uh, Toronto, I don't necessarily trust, but they have a kind of a good thing going, and they're not really scared of anyone. I don't the trust thing, Boston because they had they just don't have the length. And, minute, the, and Milwaukee's so freaking long. On the other side, though, if you talk about the Anthony Davis lack of physicality thing, I don't. I'm looking at the standings right now. I don't think it's going to happen seating wise. But if the if these if the micro ball rockets run in to the Lakers for in a series in the playoffs. What happens when they just do the thing where now they're all clearing out and Russell Westbrook, who like for a month now has been like the best player in the NBA, like in terms of just like being unlocked. But like when there's no big men and then Westbrook just kind of like switches on to Anthony Davis and just runs at him like a battering ramp. I don't know but he took like 40 shots in a game the other night. Like if he does that 35 times, like that doesn't necessarily like. But that doesn't necessarily bode well. And I say you couldn't get that. You could get that. You could get that in the second round as the uh, as the one four. Like that does that seems problematic. I don't know if they could win a series doing that, but Westbrook would frustrate the hell out of them. Absolutely, man. See, the playoffs are going to be. It's not a three team race the way it's going to be sold. Like because we both just said we think there's there's really only three teams that can do it. But you will have like real series compelling matchups all throughout. 
except for you know the one eight in the East is going to be terrible. But otherwise, like, really good stuff coming. Oklahoma City's the most dangerous fourth quarter team in the NBA. I saw that the uh, like their plus minus when their fourth quarter lineup is like at something ridiculous. Like in, in like 188 minutes, they're plus 130 in the lineup that they close with. And Chris Paul's the best closing player in the NBA right now. What they're what he's doing is absurd. Like it's almost like he got on a normal basketball team and like away from James Harden, and it's like, oh, this guy is probably one of the most underappreciated guards of all time. He's unbelievable. They're like two games out of the four spot. Like if you get it, depending on who they play against, there are two or three teams that would have every bit of trouble. And I'm thinking like like Lakers, a little bit included, would have every bit of trouble going up against them and getting out of a series. They're they're weird, but also conventional. And all these weird ways teams are playing basketball now. They're a traditional team that plays really well together, and Chris Paul is absolutely dominating people in the last seven minutes. Like they're fascinating, and they weren't even supposed to be good. If they had gotten one more wing player, they would be like, "Oh wait, these guys might actually make like a two win, like win two series or something." So yeah, I agree. Yeah, the I like that. Be, the NBA is going to be fascinating. I'm looking forward to the playoffs. Uh, we are close. We're going to have a bad month of basketball in March as these tanking teams do what they do. And then the playoffs are going to be awesome. So anyway, we'll probably get into some that more Wednesday. Uh, Borky and I will be on the radio this afternoon. We appreciate you guys listening. We'll be back at it Wednesday with some baseball stuff, probably a basketball preview, something like that. Whatever else fun stuff comes up, remind you one more time, go to LB's University Avenue across from Coger. Go see Greg the Meat Sharp. You got four baseball games in town this week. Trust me, you're not going to regret it. Go in there and see him. Go to Swayze. Eat, drink, be happy, do what people do at baseball games. Greg can help set you up. Uh, best place in Mississippi to get meat. Borky and I will be back at it on Wednesday, and I'll see you this afternoon. A Super Talk Mississippi media production.